Let all that have life and breath praise the Lord. And we are here this morning to be able to praise him, to acknowledge his presence, to worship him. To worship him and to remember that he is the source of our joy, the source of our peace, the source of our hope. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds a victory. Sing it out, church. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. He won't be quiet. We shout.
we come before you standing victorious, prepared to fight our battles alongside each other, alongside you, God. We lift this up to you.
The book of 1 Corinthians says that no one has laid a foundation that is greater than the foundation that's already been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Christ is my firm foundation. He's my rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I'm so glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me.
This is my story, this is my song. This is my testimony, and it's true.
Good morning. How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? All right. Hey, I, I was camping all week long, and I made it here. And so uh, you guys should be, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you slept in something better than I slept in this week. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today. My name's David Hurtado. If you're new to us, maybe you're watching online, checking us out for the first time. Some friend invited you. Welcome. We can't wait till you come dive in with us uh, live and in person. But for now, we get it. Uh, checking us out online. All the rest of you online, welcome in the patio, indoors, outdoors, all that kind of good stuff. We're just glad you are here. I want you to uh, fixate your minds and remember that this month we are doing this Give Love Initiative uh, and we have, as you walked in, you'll see boxes out in the lobby full of items that we need in our food pantry. And so we would love for you to help us out. We need uh, uh, items like pasta noodles, canned meats, dried herbs and spices. In short, these are items that we don't get uh, donated to us from like food share or private donations, but they are high items that we need uh, that people ask for a lot. So if you are of that mercy-minded uh, mentality, like God gave you the gift of giving in this realm, Go to the store, buy it, raid your own stuff in your pantry, and bring it on back. Now, you might be wondering, well, we only have so many boxes, and they're all getting full already. That's okay. We're going to keep on making, we have more boxes that we can put out there. We just want to see how many boxes we can fill up. And so don't worry about that. Uh, the item that anybody can be a part of to get that would be very helpful is plastic bags, sturdy plastic bags that you buy at the store uh, because they charge you for them now. <laughs> it's like in a Hispanic store. If they charge you for tortillas... Like, that's like supposed to be like a fork. Anyway, anyway, they charge us now for these bags. You don't know what to do with them. You don't want to throw them away because you just spent 10 cents on them. There's, a, there's like 150 of them in your garage. Bring them. We need them. Put them in the bag, uh, the box that has the bags. Every week we have 150 families. We need to give them a bag for all the food that, that, that's going home with them. Does that make sense? And so if you can help us with that, that would be awesome. Uh, I would love to see uh, everybody get involved in some way, shape, or form in this. And uh, come before, come after church drop it in a box, and we'll keep on piling new boxes in there until, until we have them all full. So still time, still time, all month long. I think there's this week. Is there a next week? There's a next week. You have one more week. Thank you for helping me with that. Uh, anyway, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today. I want to start this morning uh, talking about uh, kind of, uh, in years past, I, was, uh, I often would speak at a lot of youth camps, junior high camps, high school camps, winter camps, summer camps, did this all over the place in California, really, uh, Lake Tahoe, Fraser Park, LA, Big Bear, Sebastopol, anybody know Sebastopol is? It's like the Northern Californian coast, there was a camp that I would do, that, and I would take this one illustration with me when I did all these camps, and uh, it was an illustration, I really robbed it for Francis Chan, uh, and it was an illustration involving chocolate milk, I should have bought it on the way here this morning, chocolate milk and Gatorade, lemon lime Gatorade to, to be specific, chocolate milk on one hand, uh, like a half pint of that, and then like one of those plastic bottles of lemon-lime Gatorade. Now, two drinks that are awesome. I mean, they're unbelievable. I mean, they're great drinks apart from each other, right? And what I would do is I would symbolize two different lives with these uh, drinks. That, you know, there's, there's a, the Gatorade life, and that's kind of like the Jesus-loving life, the things that you do when you're living for God, and I would take a swig of the Gatorade life, Right? And then there was a chocolate milk life, and over here the chocolate milk life is doing like the opposite of what you should do for God. You know, uh, everything that you can think of that would be wrong in God's eyes, and I would take a swig of that. And so what I would do is I would just keep on going back and forth. Now, can you imagine the lemon-lime Gatorade mixing in your mouth with the chocolate milk? 
All right, that's what's going on in my mouth. And the kids are watching. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. And I'm just going back and forth trying to symbolize how these are two great drinks in life. And sometimes we think that if we drink them together, that it'll come up with something good. And yet in our mouth, we taste the sourness of the lemon-lime Gatorade mixed in with the sweetness of the chocolate milk and uh, these things don't mix together real good. Now, by the end of this thing, after I describe, you know, I go to church, I, I go to youth group, I pray, I read my Bible over here, I smoke dope, whatever else I'm doing over here that I shouldn't be doing, right? And, and now I have half of my chocolate milk and half of my Gatorade gone. And then I would do something at the very end to symbolize what we're doing with our lives. And I would take the Gatorade and I'd say, and what we think we can do is we can mix them. And I'd take the chocolate milk and I'd pour it inside the Gatorade bottle and you could see it fill up with now the Gatorades filling up with chocolate milk. Now, uh, and, and, and all the kids go, drink, drink, drink. And of course, I would drink it. Now, I look back today, and that's like 600 calories of straight sugar. And I wondered why I felt like I wanted to hurl. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, you know. And I would drink, I'd say, we, we take this together, and we think we can mix these two lives together and make a good drink. And when God drinks it, it's sour, and it makes him want to puke. It makes him want to hurl. It makes him want to throw up, and maybe I'd make the connection with that in, in, the, in the passage in, in Revelation that talks about he wants to spit you out. And we would talk about that. We think we can mix these together. You take, it's interesting, you would take the chocolate milk and you pour it into the Gatorade, and it would like coagulate into like, you know, yogurt right before your eyes. It's really, it's really you should do it. Go home and buy it and, and then drink it together. And, see what and, and the whole time, you like get the sour, sweet thing in your mouth, and you're like, oh, you're, you're, you're wanting to spit it out. So sour. And the idea is that sometimes two good things apart from each other aren't to be mixed together because when you mix them together, make you want to barf, make you want to hurl. In fact, our lives, if our lives don't match up with the confession of our faith, sometimes that can make God want to hurl. Like that sour taste in his mouth, so to speak. And I bring that up because Paul is going to deal with one of these sour drink situations in Corinth as it relates in the realm of communion today in our passage. What is it about our participation in communion that was, that, what was about their participation in communion that soured to God? What were they doing wrong? How can we avoid those same pitfalls? How do we make sure that our, that when we participate in communion, we don't become that sour tasting idea in the mouth of God? And so for that, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I encourage you to open your Bibles right now. Get to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we are quickly getting to the end of 1 Corinthians, although chapter 14 and 15 are pretty long. Uh, we're in chapter 11. We'll finish up chapter 11. We'll jump into chapter 12 next week, which starts off uh, our kind of mini-series on spiritual gifts, which I know many of you have been very excited about. Uh, but first we go there. Before we go there, we're going to be in chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, and the overarching question we're going to see today is, uh, uh, what can we do to sour communion in the eyes of God, really in the taste buds of God, but what can we do that really sours communion in the eyes of God, and that makes it sour when we participate in this way in communion, this is sour tasting to God. The first thing we're going to see is we can forget that it's supposed to be communal. What makes it sour tasting to God? When we forget that it's supposed to be communal. It is a communal activity. In fact, in the very word communion, you hear the word communal. And so when we take communion, it's supposed to be done communally. And let's see that in verses 17 
through 22. It says this, follow along as I read, but in the following, uh, but, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you, because when you come together, it is, it is not for the better, but it is for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses uh, to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? I will not. Let's stop there. What can we do to sour communion in the eyes of God? The first thing is we can forget that it's supposed to be communal. It's supposed to be done together, communally, with uh, everybody involved together. He starts off by saying, uh, for those of you guys who who, uh, you know, uh, who, who are participating, I gotta let you know, you're not coming together for the better, you're actually coming together for the worst. In fact, where I might give you uh, commendation before, I can't give you commendation here. I can't say anything good about what you're doing. Uh, there's two distinct reasons why I can't find anything good. The first one is because there's factions, there's cliques among you. This is not something that's new to us. We've, as we've studied through 1 Corinthians, we've seen it all uh, the entire time. There was factions over leaders and which traveling orator did we listen to and ascribe to the most over the other ones. There was divisions over sexual, uh, social economic status, classism, elitism, um, uh, racism. There was all kinds of factions and divisions and cliques and schisms. In fact, the word for factions and divisions in the original Greek is schismata. Everybody say schismata. Schismata. You hear the word schism in the word schismata. It's where we get the word schism from. And it's back. He's saying, you guys are still divided. I still see it. I hear about it. I even believe it because I've seen and heard of many things already in the same vein. So you keep on being divided. And then secondly, I don't know what it is you're doing, but if you thought you were doing communion, you're not doing that. Whatever it is you think you're doing, if you thought you were doing communion, you're not doing that. I don't know what it is, but it's not communion what you're doing. And to understand this a little bit more, maybe we need some con kind of like historical context to give us a better picture of what's going on. Uh, there is, uh, before the communion meal, or before participating in the elements for communion, the bread, the juice, or different traditions, the bread, the wine, there was what we would call an agape meal, or literally a love feast. We just did one this week. Uh, uh, not, 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 not what they did in Corinthians, but they did a love feast uh, for uh, our high school ministry going to Mexico in the coming months and building a home. Uh, Agape meal, a love feast, prior to communion, you would have this love feast together, but this became in Corinth like an elitism's measuring stick. Who's got more? Who's better? Who's higher on the ladder socioeconomically? What class are you? Are you below me? Are you above me? That's what it ended up becoming. Symbolized by, uh, you would sit with your kind of people. 
So we're going to get together as a church and take communion, but just understand this. You really need to sit with your kind of people. And, and we've them done archaeological digs to verify this. They would come together in these homes, and this is where the, 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 the nobleman sat, and this is where the Roman citizen sat, and this is where the slave sat, and here's where the freedman, the poor freedman, he just bought himself out of slavery. He's still poor. He hasn't risen up the ranks. And they would sit in, in, in kind of ordered of where you are status-wise in the community. This is very, you know, classism, elitism. The things that we've heard of in Corinth as we've gone through this letter is continuing even at communion. So if I'm an elite, I'd sit with the elites. If I'm a Roman citizen, I sit with the Roman citizens. If I'm a slave, I sit with the slaves. Uh, we haven't, I haven't paid off what I agreed to pay off to, 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 to work my way out of slavery. Remember we talked about that, how that was like part of your career it's much different than what we understand slavery today. I've got myself enslaved to a Roman proconsul so that I can move up the, the stratosphere and become a citizen eventually. My kids will become citizens if I buy myself out of slavery. So the slaves sit with the slaves. Those with an ethnic background sit with those of the, their, their like ethnic background. Jews with Jews, Gentiles with Gentiles. And here's the important piece. When the food came out, when the food came out, Guess what, where the best food went first? The elites. The food came out, and they got the choice of all the food. And so the elites would get it, then the Roman citizens would get it, then it'd come over here to the freedmen, then it'd become the slaves, then the ethnic, and, and if there's any left for you, you can have some. It was literally like this demonstration of the haves versus the haves not. Here are the haves, here are the have-nots. Have sit over here, have-not sits over there. And if you get any crumbs at the end, you should be grateful. Maybe one day you'll raise up to our level. That's what was happening in the agape feast prior to communion when they would participate in the Lord's Supper. In addition to this, you have people who are of high economic status, who have flexibility in their schedules, and then you have folks that are more blue-collar in nature and don't have flexibility in their schedules, and the blue-collar folks were coming in late and, 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 and finding that, that, that people are drunk, that, that people have eaten so much there's nothing left for them. Food is gone, people are drunk, making a very mockery of what was to be the Lord's Supper. That's why he says, I don't know what it is you're doing, but it's not communion you're eating. That's not communion. What's going on there is not what the Lord had in mind for communion. It's supposed to be communal. Communion has the word communal in it. Everybody's supposed to be involved. This is why in chapter 10, if you remember, it goes back, and says, we're all of one loaf, and they would literally tear a piece off of one loaf, and the loaf would go around, tear a piece off, and that's how they would participate in communion. I was involved in a church several years ago that used to do that. Probably not the best thing to do in the middle of a pandemic, but that's what they did. That's what they did, and it was symbolic. We are all of the same loaf. We are all one body together, and yet you're depriving some of the Lord's children of the ability to participate while you get drunk? Now, this is very interesting because participating in something like communion or even baptism or, or these, these ordinances, an ordinance is ordered by Christ. That's what we call an ordinance, okay? 
Uh, participate in these activities, these like overtly religious activities that become, can even become ritualistic, can give you this like false sense of security that because I participate in the Lord's Supper, there's some kind of magical protection around me. I got this force field around me now because I took the elements. And here he's saying, no, so clearly, you don't have a, a, like a, a force field, there's no magical protection umbrella around you. The thing that you're doing is actually condemning you. There's nothing, something so spiritually like, like magical about this that if you just do this, all of a sudden you're covered. No, in fact, the way you do this could mean the very reason why you're not covered. And it leaves a sour taste in the mouth of God. Um, this is supposed to be communal. And instead of being communal, you're saying, look at us, we're better, you're lower. There's not even any food for you left. There's not even the ability for you to take communion anymore because, well, you got here late. And we didn't save any for you. And he's saying this whole activity is supposed to be communal together, the entire body together. We don't leave people out. We do it together. Now, on an extreme side note, let me just say this. This is a theological reason for the imperative in some churches and some church leaderships to reopen during the pandemic earlier on in this whole thing. And I say this because there's a sentiment out there that, oh my gosh, you know what? Um, the most loving thing you can do would be to not meet anymore so you don't infect other people with this virus. And by the way, that'd be very loving. It'd be great if we could do that. Uh, and God does call us to be loving, but God also calls us to do other things like facilitate a situation where people can participate in communion. And it's supposed to be done communally. What does that mean? Some who take this super literally, and I know some who have, would say, we are not taking communion unless we are together. And we can't do that apart from each other, and so therefore we have to reopen. That is a theological justification for opening up church in the midst of a crisis like a pandemic. Now, whether or not you like that argument or not, that neither here nor there. I'm just telling you that's one of the arguments. It's a theological argument. And some who are convicted that way have done that for that very reason. The idea is that communion is supposed to be communal. It's supposed to be communal. Well, what can, we do? what can we do to sour communion in God's eyes? Number one, we can forget that it's supposed to be communal. Number two, we can forget its ultimate purpose. Now Paul's gonna kinda, kinda dive into the ultimate purpose of communion. We can forget about its ultimate purpose and make it about something else, which, which is what they were doing. They are making about a big feast and a big party about who's higher and who's lower. And he, wait, don't forget the ultimate purpose, the real purpose of communion. And we're gonna see that in verses 23 through 26. Let's read together. It says, for I received, for, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, or literally, the participle there is, after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Now, you might have a translation that says that it's been broken for you. That is an added word. That is not in the original text. This is my body, which is for you. This uh, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup, of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How do we sour communion in God's eyes? Well, we forget the ultimate purpose of communion. 
goes out of his way to say, I'm just going to tell you what the Lord Jesus told me himself. Now, this is really cool. This is like a cool apologetic, which would be like a defense of the faith. So if you want to listen up, uh, if you nerdy folks are going to love this. Here's Paul saying, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus told me. Now, um, by and large, almost all scholars, conservative and liberal scholars, would agree that the letter to the Corinthian church was written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. Right? Even liberal scholars agree with that, because liberal scholars think that, that the, the Gospels were written 500 years after they were written. But here we have a letter from Paul to a present-day church in the first century. So that one's written first, and then the Gospels are written. Now, check this out. Paul says, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus told me about what happened on a night that I wasn't there. And when you look at Paul's rendition of what happens on that night, and then later coming would be these, these, these gospel accounts of what happens on that night, guess what? Complete congruency. Complete, like, like Paul knows about an activity that happened that he wasn't even there for. He wasn't an eyewitness for. The eyewitnesses are going to later write an account of what happened there. And Paul's account is perfectly symmetrical with those having its own distinctions. This is so, this is so great. I'm sorry. I'm going to geek out for a second. So even though they're congruent, he still has distinctiveness in how he writes it. So he didn't copy it because it's distinct enough from it, but it's congruent with everything else that would be say, later be said about that night. You guys aren't as excited as I am. But I'm just telling you, if you're a skeptic, put that in your pipe and smoke it, baby, because I'm telling you, that's great evidence right there. All right, that was a side note. Uh, uh, anyway, and so, so uh, here he gives, uh, Jesus Christ told me himself, we don't know if that happened in Acts 9 when, when, when he saw the vision or whatever, somehow he gets knowledge about this event in the upper room that he was not present for, and he says this is what we're supposed to be doing as far as the Lord's Supper. Now what he does in this is he repurposes or reinterprets the Passover meal. Everybody agrees that what he was doing on the, uh, on the night before, uh, the night that he was betrayed was leading the disciples in a Passover meal. And here he is uh, leading them in the Passover meal, but he kind of repurposes the Passover meal. He kind of reinterprets the Passover meal. Uh, I, 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 those of you guys who have never heard this, I want, please uh, like, like tune in because it's really going to rock your world at the very end of it. The Passover meal was, was there to celebrate Israel's uh, deliverance from Egypt. Remember, they were in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. God delivers them and takes them out of Egypt, away from Pharaoh. And you had this Passover meal to celebrate that activity, to celebrate that. Now, at some point, the person presiding over the Passover meal would make reference to the bread of affliction. The bread of affliction was recalling the affliction of their forefathers in Egypt. They would eat bitter spices. It was so bitter while we were there. And the bread of affliction was unleavened, meaning we didn't even have time to leaven the bread. We just had to run when God delivered us. And so they would make reference to the bread of affliction, uh, remembering that activity when God rescued them away from Egypt and the Pharaoh. Now here, Jesus repurposes this whole idea, repurposes his ceremony to apply to himself. Now I am, the, the bread is my body, which takes on the affliction in order to deliver us. You see what happened there? He's doing the Passover meal and says, I am the bread of affliction. Like, purpose that, repurpose that to me. Uh, I, I'm not undoing something that was said over here. I'm fulfilling it. It was a foreshadow of the one to come. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who is, my body becomes the bread of affliction to spare you and deliver you. You guys, 
aren't as excited. Well, later on in the Passover meal, the person presiding over the meal would also reference a cup, a cup of wine. This was to symbolize, you remember, the death angel who would fly over, remember the last plague, and the firstborn of every family without the blood on the what? Doorpost would die. And so what Israel did, took the blood of a lamb, put it on the doorpost of their house, and the death angel would go, oh, not this house, and they would kill every firstborn of every human being or even livestock that was in the area. You can go back to Exodus and see this. And the death angel would come, and because of the blood of the lamb, you were spared, right? And now here Jesus is saying, I'm going to repurpose this and reinterpret this to apply to myself. It is my blood that's shed on your behalf that delivers us. See what he's doing? He's taking the Passover meal, reinterpreting, repurposing, and said, I am the bread, and I am the blood. It is by virtue of my blood that the death angel passes over. Holy cow, if I said that in a charismatic church, people would be amen it. <laughs> The, 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 pass, the, the death angel passes over because of the blood of the lamb. This is what he's doing. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Imperative, command. You do this and you remember me. As often as you drink of it, you remember me. A Passover once a year, we would remember uh, the deliverance that we got from Egypt. Uh, that's great, but you do this and remember me that's giving you an eternity of salvation and deliverance. When you take on these elements, remember me. And Corinth, you're remembering your status and how much money you have and, and who's below you and who's above you. Remember me. That's what he's saying to them. And anything less than this. It's missing the entire point. Interestingly enough, when I was a kid, I used to take communion thinking about what might happen to me. Maybe I'd get salvation. I used to take communion thinking maybe in taking these elements, I receive salvation. That's how I grew up. Now I take communion because what has already happened to me? Does that make sense? Salvation is already there bought by the blood of Christ and the bread that represents the body and his life that I could never live. It's already been given to me. I take it with full assurance that I already have it before I was hoping I'd get it. Big difference. Well, let's visit the final way that we can sour communion from God's perspective. What, what can we do to sour communion in God's eyes? Well, we can forget that it's communal. We can forget its ultimate main purpose. And finally, we can forget that it should be taken with reverence. We can forget that it should be taken with reverence. Let's go to verse 27, and we'll finish out the chapter there. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats or, and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. If your Bible says, fallen asleep, that's a euphemism for death. Other translations write, fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the rest of the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together and eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so you don't come together, will not be for judgment. But about the other things, I'll give directions when I 
when I come. Um, what can we do to sour communion in the eyes of God? We can forget that it should be taken reverently or be taken with reverence. In communion, you can come with an unworthy posture, and if you take it in an unworthy posture, you are guilty of the very blood and body of Christ. It's very strong terminology. It's not, um, it's not, it's not low-level terminology. It's high-level condemnation kind of terminology. And he's certainly referencing when you come in here and it's more about classism and more about elitism and who's up and who's down, who's higher and who's lower, you're doing it inappropriately. When you come and get yourself drunk on the communion elements, that is obviously doing it in an unworthy manner, but also going to be applied to many other things, a myriad of other things, like my attitude during communion. Am I present or am I not? My state, the state of my life, am I, do I, am I lost in unrepentant sin right now and I'm going to take communion like it doesn't matter? The dangers of allowing it to be, become routine, like is it meaningful or is it just routine? I just go, we go, we go to church, we grab one, we do, everybody's doing it. To where it's not meaningful anymore. The dangers of allowing it to become too ritualistic. So that it's so meaningful that it gives me a false confidence. I can live my life however I want to live it, do whatever I want to do that's opposite of God, live the chocolate milk life, so to speak, and just take communion. And that gives me like this magical covering before God as if God isn't watching what state we take it in. It says examine yourself or you'll consume judgment on yourself. Examine yourself is a command before you take the elements. It's just a piece of bread and just some juice. But examine yourself to see that you are presently in a place where you can take it worthily. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect because none of us could ever take communion. But it does mean that if I have unconfessed sin that I would deal with it beforehand. It does mean that if I, there's something going on in my life that's incongruent that I would get right with that before I took communion. Like I, it'd be meaningful to me, and, and my heart would be involved in it so much so that I couldn't do this if something's so out of whack in my life, is the idea. Examine yourself. Because if you don't examine yourself, you're going to consume judgment on yourself. And the idea here is that you'll literally pass a verdict on yourself, a guilty verdict, as if you were the judge on the bench. Pass a sentence on yourself. It says, test yourself to see your attitude towards the table before you participate in it. He goes on to say, shockingly enough, this is why some of you are sick and even dying. I'll go back to verse 30. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now what's, what's in mind here is a loss of Life, not a loss of salvation. You don't lose your salvation over this, but you could lose your life, your physical life over this. Did you know that God is standing watching on how you participate, how you worship, and how you participate in the communion elements? Did you know that God could decide to take a believer home early from this earth, depending upon how they represent him on this earth? Just think about that for a second. That's what it says. I can take you home. You're not doing very much for me on the earth, so I'll just bring it home early. And by the way, this is a grace. And the idea is it takes you home prior to you doing something where you would lose and become like the rest of the world who's going to be condemned. It's a grace to you that I would take you home early. 
Do you realize like, that's how important it is to God, that he's watching. He's not just watching us with our hands. He's watching us in our hearts and what we're doing in the midst of this. Because therefore, participate in communion communally. Eat dinner at home so that the ordinance, the ordinance of communion doesn't get fogged up with partiality if you have to. Eat at home and just come and take the elements if you need to. And that's historically and traditionally what the church ended up doing, which is why we only take that. Wait for each other. Eat together. Do it reverently. Taking a look interior into your heart and seeing if you're at a place where you can consume it worthily. If you're not, repent, confess, and get yourself at that place before you come forward and take communion. Well, how can we sour communion in the eyes of God? We can forget that it's to be done communally. We can forget its ultimate purpose. We can forget that we're supposed to take it in reverence. This brings us to the big idea of the day where we try to wrap everything up into one main thrust, and that is this. Communion is an activity involving the heart more so than involving the hands. Communion is an activity involving the heart more so than involving the hands. Now, it is involving the hands. We do take the elements with our hands, and we do participate in the elements physically. But the heart has to be involved. And when the heart's involved, you take it into consideration everybody's in the room. And when the heart's involved, you take into consideration exactly what it's about. And when the heart's involved, you make sure to do this reverently. Communion is an activity involving the heart more so than involving the hands. And so we thought this would be a great day to take communion together this morning. As we teach on it, as the Word of God teaches on it, as Paul makes it very clear what it should be about, we thought we would do it together. And my encouragement to you, the band will come back on the stage, we'll do some singing together. My encouragement to you would be to take stock of what's going on. Consider the body that we're all doing this together. Um, we have community elements down here. I don't know if we have some up there. We may have some up in the balcony. But if we don't, you guys are going to walk down here, grab an element, go back to your seats, and we're going to wait for you. Because that's what he says to do. And we're going to do it together. That's what we're going to do. If you're in a place right now, you're like, man, this is the wrong week for me. Ah, oh, I didn't measure up this week, that's okay. There's going to be two songs. You're going to pray yourself right before God and make sure that you're in a place where you can receive the communion elements, which say, by the way, that it's by the blood and body of Christ that you're saved, not by your own works. But you're going to put yourself in a position where I get my heart right so I can do this. We're going to do it together in a communal fashion, collectively together. We're going to consider its purpose we're going to make sure that we're worthy of it. So, here's what's going to happen. We're going to, I'm going to pray in a second. We're going to sing a couple songs. During those two songs, I want everybody in the room to come up and grab elements and go back. If you're not able-bodied to come, come up for it, then our ushers will help you get elements for sure. Okay? Everybody's going to come up, grab it. They're at least six millimeters apart. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you grab it and you go back to your seat. Do not open it yet. After those two songs, I'll come up and I'll have my very own and we will do it together because communion is supposed to be done communally. We'll receive it together. We'll think about the purpose of it and we'll make sure our hearts is right. Can you do that?
Let's make sure it's meaningful today. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Man, I could cry over that death angel passing by my house based on the blood of the Lamb. How the bread of affliction is Christ taking on our afflictions on the cross. How living a life that I could never live and dying the, the death that I should surely die. He says, I pardoned you. That's what we want to focus on. And we want to do it together and we want our hearts to be right in the midst of it. Let this be a meaningful moment for you. Let it not be sour tasting in your mouth. Let it be something that's wonderful, something that brings us closer to you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
as you sing these next words out, really sing them out and believe them. Sing them out with your heart, your mind and your soul.
seconds just to prepare your heart for what we're about to do. Go ahead and take the wafer that represents the body of Christ. Maybe just look at it for a second. I want to let you know today that it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter how many zeros at the end of your 401k. It doesn't matter how successful you've been in life. It doesn't matter how unsuccessful you feel about life. We all come run to the banner of Christ. This wafer represents the life of another that we could never achieve. In fact, sometimes it's said that his body was broken for us. His body was never broken for us. In fact, the scripture says his body would not be broken. The bread simply represents a life that we could not achieve. That he gave on our behalf. This is the body of Christ. As you open up the juice, just try to look at it for a little while. The redness of the juice representing the death of Christ on the cross, every ounce of blood shed on your behalf and mine as well. Foreshadowing of what was the death angel passing over the doorpost because of the blood of the lamb was fulfilled in Christ as he would die for every one of our sin, past, present, and future. Whether or not you feel you deserving doesn't matter because of this blood that was shed on your behalf. Perfection has been given to you. This is the blood of Christ. Let's partake. pray a short prayer and then we're going to sing a song of victory and of praise of what happens because of what happened on the cross. 
Father, we love you. We love you. Jesus, we're so thankful that you would die a criminal's death for us. We have no hope, no hope without that work on the cross. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. sorrows and dead in my sin lost without hope no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remained my orphan heart is given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to death. When death was arrested, my life began. All right, help me out, church. Oh, your grace so
ahead and have a seat. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. All right. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to say that Jesus is offering you pardon for your sin, like Pastor David talked about, grace and forgiveness and a relationship with him. Um, you can pay your own debt for your sins if you want, but that's going to cost you eternal life. Jesus is offering to pay that debt for you. And all you have to do is receive that, admit you're a sinner, admit you need God's grace and forgiveness, and accept his offer to give it to you and begin to follow him and live your life for him. If you're ready to do that today, we have people who would like to walk you through that process and talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. Um, if you're here in person, you can find them at the welcome counter on the left-hand side of your lobby on your way out. I encourage you to go tell them that God's doing something in your life. And if you're joining us online, you can do that by going to campcc.net and clicking on next steps. There's a form you can fill out and one of the pastors of our church will get back to you to help talk to you about that process of becoming a Christian. Um, and it's a free gift, the free gift of eternal life, forgiveness for our sins. We can be made right with God. We can be reconciled with God um, and begin a relationship with him. And if that's where you're at, let us know. We want to be part of that with you. All right, we're going to uh, receive our giving today. This is one of the ways we worship God. There's three ways to do that, as you can see on the screen. And I just want to say what a blessing it is to be part of such a generous church. Our uh, high school missions group, our high school team, sends a missions team every year to build a house in Mexico for a family in need. Um, and they have an event they do called the Love Feast. David mentioned it briefly. It was last Wednesday. The goal was to raise $6,000 that would cover the cost of the materials necessary to build this little house. Um, and you guys who showed up and gave so generously, we actually raised $10,500, which was way more than we needed. So um, um, I love that uh, mission, mission trip. I go every single year and help build that house. It's such a fun thing to do and be a part of. So thanks for those of you who joined us. And for those who give here at this church, it enables us to do ministry. Um, and not just here, but throughout the world as we support min, uh, missionaries in other places. All right, check out this video, what's coming next. Hey KMCC, I'm Ben Mathis, and I'm a part of the high school ministry, which is awesome. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. We want to put a face to the name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card for kmcc.net slash nextsteps. Check out what's coming up at KMCC. The month of February, Community Impact Initiative. We have a food drive to restock our food pantry. Check out the card for what their needs are. Email meredith at camcc.net for more info. March 5th, art show, 5 p.m. K through three is hosting an art show. Kindergarten through third grade students can submit artwork throughout the month of February, and it will be displayed gallery style around the church. Students and their families are encouraged to participate by submitting artwork, but the entire church is invited to join on the evening of the show. Awards will be given to students who submit art, and refreshments will be provided. For more information, contact Sarah at cancc.net. Travis Green and Israel Houghton One Night Only Concert has been postponed. If you already have tickets with the original date, keep and bring those and you will be good to go. Important dates coming up. So make sure you save the date. Family Camp, May 27th through 30th. High School Friathon Camp, June 19th through 24th. And the Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th through 8th.
stay in the loop of what's going on at KMCC. Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to KMCC.net. Stand with me as we conclude our gathering this morning. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for reminding and encouraging us about how we take communion. When we take communion, we need to remember the ultimate purpose is what is the finished work that Christ did on the cross for us, and then to take communion with reverence. If this is your first time as a guest, or first, second, or third time, remember, go out in the lobby. We have a gift for you. And if you're online, you can go to campcc.net forward slash next steps. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.